Well, good morning. Hope you've had a good Thanksgiving. Everybody have a good Thanksgiving? All right, I'll give you a test in a few minutes. We'll hang on to that. Hey, let me ask you a question, and I know that the answer to this question is going to show for some of you your age, but I need to ask the question anyway. How many of you remember the Partridge family? All right, a good number of you do. That's good. That's good. Partridge Family, for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, uh, was a TV show about 1970 to 1974. It was about this mom. I think she was a widow, and she had her family, and they had a little band, and they traveled in this multicolored school bus around the country and, and did concerts. Here's a picture of the Partridge Family. I think we've got that. There we, are. there we are. There's the part. Does that look familiar to a lot of you guys? Yeah, Partridge family. Now, that guy right in the middle doing like this, that guy is David Cassidy. Uh, my wife had a crush on him, but when she was young, you know, I mean, she was 12, 13, 14 back when this was on, and so she had a crush on David Cassidy, but just to make it easy, I mean, to make it real, I had a crush on... Susan Day, so, okay, so it's all, it's all good, it's all even. Uh, Lisa had the David Cassidy poster, David Cassidy fan club, and all that, all that kind of thing. It did not occur, honestly, it did not occur to me until just this week when I was kind of reviewing all of this, it occurred to me, do you know what David Cassidy's name was on the Partridge family? What was his character's name? Keith. Yeah, she's shaking her head. <laughs> she knew she couldn't get Keith Partridge, so she settled for Keith Shorter, you know. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what it was right there. And I used to have hair kind of like that, too. And I, I did, didn't I? I sure did. It was even parted in the middle. Now it's still parted in the middle. Just, <laughs> Well, the reason I'm talking about David Cassidy, you may have heard by now that on Tuesday he died. 69 years old, had poor health, and 69 years old he died on Tuesday down in Florida. And the sad part of this story is that at the end of his life, he said something as he took his last breath. And his daughter actually tweeted it out later. Let me show you part of her tweet. She said, that's his daughter, and that's David Cassidy. He said, words can't express the solace our families receive from all of the love and support during this trying time. My father's last words were, so much wasted time. Then he died. Isn't that sad? You come to the end of your life, your one and only life. And you come to the end of the life that you've lived, and the way that you summarize the life that you've lived, so much wasted time. When I read that, I immediately thought about somebody else and their last words and what they said what, and what they wrote down. I immediately thought of Apostle Paul, and here's, here's how Paul summarized his time. The time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. It's a totally different way to approach death, isn't it? And to approach life. Totally different way. Paul looked back at his, he got to the end of his journey, the end of his life, the end of his ministry, when he knew his time was over, he looked back and said, I fought a good fight. I've 
run the race. I kept the faith. And here's what I want to say to you today. This is what you want to say in your last breath. These are the words you want to be able to say. You don't want to come to the end of your life and your last words be so much wasted time. And so how do we get there? That's what we're going to talk about today. How do we get to this place? Because it's interesting, the guy who wrote those words, he's the same guy who wrote the book of Philippians. And in Philippians chapter 3, he tells us in the second half of the third chapter, he tells us how to live a better life. That's what I want to talk to you about today. Philippians chapter 3, we're working our way through the book of Philippians, if, if you're a guest with us today. And, and in Philippians chapter 3, Paul talks about how to live a better life. You know, I think one of the greatest challenges in, in actively living out your relationship for Jesus is to avoid the trap of simply going through the motions. That it's easy for us in our quest to live a better life, it's easy for us to sometimes put it on cruise control and go through the motions. You see, this is personal confession, and I bet you can uh, acknowledge this as well. I know what a Christian should say. And I, I know how a Christian ought to act, and I know how to put up a spiritual front. Even if I'm not pursuing God passionately, I know how to make it look like I am. And so do you, more than likely. But I don't want to settle for that. I don't want to settle for that kind of stale faith. And I bet you don't either. And I've often wondered as I've thought about how we get caught in the trap of going through the motions, I, I've often wondered, when does it happen? When does zeal die? When do we lose our enthusiasm for the Lord? How, maybe I should put it this way. How do we lose interest in God? I mean, isn't that crazy to even think about? How do you lose interest in God? And yet it happens. Scripture is stained with the accounts of spiritual men and women who for at least a while, or for a while at least, lost their interest in the things of God. Samson, for example, trusted in lesser strength. Solomon got bored. John Mark got fickled and turned back. And uh, Peter let down his guard. Jonah ignored an assignment from the Lord. Uh, Ananias and Sapphira got enamored and captivated by money. And they all, they all had their lives kind of grow stale. They were believers in God, but they kind of lost their edge. They lost their passion. They lost their freshness. They, at least for a little while, lost their interest in the things of God. And one of the amazing things about Paul is that when you look at what he wrote, and even when he wrote what he wrote in his last days, it's interesting that Paul seemingly never went through the motions. He never, he never got to the point where he lost interest in God. He, he never lost his zeal. He never lost his passion. When he came to the end of life, the end of his ministry, he still has that. So how can we kind of head in that direction ourselves where we are pursuing Christ like that? Let's read in Philippians chapter 3. I'm going to ask you in honor of God's word to stand with me as we read verses 10 through 14. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. <clears throat> now before we read this, can I just tell you one other thing? This was not written by a young man. These words were not written by a young man who idealistically is thinking about them. These are words written by an older man later in life towards the end of his ministry. Not quite there yet, but towards the end of his ministry. An older man looking back on life and looking at his present situation 
And here's what he said. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. And then he says, not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you help us today by the power of the Holy Spirit to understand this divine truth and may it change our lives. I pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. Be seated. Using the words of the Apostle Paul, I want to talk to you very briefly and quickly about how to live a better life. I'm just going to give you five or six things. I don't know if I'll have time to get to all of them, but let me just jump in. Paul, first of all, tells us if you want to live a better life, number one, be honest about where you are as a follower of Christ. Start out there. Be honest about where you are as a follower of Christ. I told my Discover Mount Airy class last Sunday that Paul's experience with Jesus radically changed his life, that, that he did not have a past tense experience, he had a present tense journey with Jesus. And what I mean by that is, he didn't have just the Damascus Road experience where he got saved, Paul lived out that experience with the Lord all the days of his life, and his present tense journey is captured in these words in verse 10, I want to know Christ. Written by an older man, later in ministry, saying, listen, this is still my goal. This is still my passion. This is still my desire. I want to know Christ. And then he tells us what that looks like at the, as you look at the rest of the verse. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death and somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. If we had time, we could dig into well, what does all of that mean, but I could summarize it in this sentence. Paul wanted the, his life to look like the life of Jesus. I just want to know Christ. I want to know the power of His resurrection. I, I want my life to look like the life of Jesus. That was his driving passion. But what really surprises me is what he said next. Because here's what he said next in verse 12. He says, uh, he says not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I did not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. To me, that's an amazing statement because if anybody had the right to think he had arrived, at least in our perspective, we would say it was Paul. He wrote most of the New Testament. He, he was a moving force for Christianity in his day. He had an incredible impact on the world and yet later in his life later in his ministry he says I don't have it all together I'm still not where I want to be I'm still not there yet I still have a long way to grow I'm really challenged by that personal evaluation that he has there and I think we all could benefit from the example that he gives us here that if you really want to live a better life you need to do an honest evaluation of where you are in your relationship with Jesus Brothers, he says in verse 13, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. I love that word yet because there's a couple of uh, meanings in that word. First of all, Paul is very honestly saying, that this, I'm not where I want to be, 
Uh, so I just want you to know that I'm not arrived there yet. But also, there is not only is there honesty and humility in that word, there is also passion in that word. Brothers, I have not yet taken hold of it. I'm not yet taken hold of it. I'm not yet where I want to be. In other words, but I'm still going for it. It's later in life. It's later in ministry. And I'm not there yet, but I still plan to be there. I'm not there yet, but I'm still striving for that. Ladies and gentlemen, Paul was not one who had given up and was just going through the motions. He said, I'm still later in life, later in ministry. I'm still striving to be all that God wants me to be. I'm not there yet. I love that passion. I love that energy. He wasn't satisfied. He was saved. He was sanctified, but he was not satisfied with his relationship quite yet. Could I ask you a question? Where do you need to change? What is it that you need to change to to move closer to what God wants you to be? If you want to live a better life, have the courage to ask that question. What is it I need to change? What is it I need to do differently? Where do I stand in my relationship with God? There's an old Chinese proverb that says, if we don't change the direction we're going, we're likely to end up where we're headed. Maybe it's time for you to change the direction you're going to improve your life. Number two, he says, you'll live a better life. Number two, don't waste time. Don't waste any more time on yesterday. Don't waste any more time on yesterday. He says, brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. Hey, can I ask you a personal question? I need your participation. How many of you ate too much yesterday for Thanksgiving? You kind of overdid it. Come on now. You're in church. God's watching. (laughs) Most of us probably did. Most of us probably ate too much. I, I read somebody said, the meal is not over when I'm full. The meal is over when I hate myself. You know what that's like, right? It's like, I'm full, that was good, but you keep eating because it was so good. And you keep eating, you get to the point where it's like, oh, why did I do that? I hate myself. I feel awful now. I just hate myself for, for eating so much. Why did I do that? That's not just a question we ask at Thanksgiving. It's also a question we ask ourselves when we've messed up our lives, or we've messed up our marriages, or we've messed up our families. Why did I do that? What was I thinking? Why did I keep giving in to those desires? Why did I do that? And you know what I've learned? We can hate what we've done. We can even hate ourselves. And it won't change a thing. Paul decided to stop wasting time on yesterday. Because yesterday is gone. Yesterday is over. And if you're going to start living a better life, you've got to be willing to make that kind of statement and mean it. Here's, look at it again. You might want to underline it in your Bible. Middle of verse 13. Forgetting what is behind. Forgetting what is behind. I, I've got to let go of my past. I've got to stop giving energy to yesterday. My past is past. Therefore, I'm going to let go of my grief. I'm going to let go of my guilt. I'm going to let go of my grudges. I'm going to let go of my grief over what I missed out on. I'm going to let go of my guilt, the things that I failed. I'm going to let go of my grudges, those who have hurt me. And if you just want to live a better life, if you could just do these things right here, 
you could just somehow close the door on yesterday and stop wasting so much time and energy on yesterday. Listen, you're not going to be able to let go of the past and let God work in your present unless you're willing to say, I'm going to shut the door on that. I'm going to close that behind me. By God's grace and with God's help, I'm going to shut the door on my grief over what I've missed out on. I'm going to shut the door on my guilt over the failures that I've done. I'm going to shut the door on the grudges over those people who have hurt me. You can't live a better life if you're hanging on to the past. So, but pastor, how do I forget? How do I forget what they said to me? How do I forget what he did to me? How do I forget the way she treated me? How do I forget? How do I forget these things? Listen to me. Listen, church. You don't. You don't forget. God doesn't expect you to forget. See, the word forget in the New Testament does not have the idea of erasing your memory. The word forget in the New Testament means to no longer be influenced by those memories. No longer be affected by those memories. To, To forget means that with God's help... You're not going to let the past control you anymore. With God's help, you're not going to let the past have power over you anymore. With God's help, you're not going to let the past manipulate you anymore. If you want to live a better life, you've got to get to the point where you, you stop giving energy to yesterday. You stop focusing on yesterday. Paul says in verse 13, I love the word that he uses here, forgetting what is behind and, what's that next word, church, at least in the NIV, and straining towards what is ahead. You know what that means? That word straining gives the idea, the word picture of, I'm going to give this everything I've got. I'm straining towards what's ahead. I'm going to give it everything i got. Which leads me to the third thing. That Paul tells us to live a better life. Aggressively pursue what Jesus wants for your life. Aggressively pursue what Jesus wants for your life. Look at the way he says it again. Verse 13. Straining toward what is ahead. And look how he describes it in verse 12. Go back to verse 12. Not that I've already obtained all this or I've already been made perfect, but I press on, watch this, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Paul was in essence saying, I want to live the life God has planned for me. I want to live the life only God can dream of. That's what he's talking about there. And throughout his life, he kept straining towards that goal. He did not live a perfect life, but throughout his life, whenever he messed up, he kept straining towards the goal of living the life God had planned for him. You can read in, in, I think it's Acts chapter 9, verse 15. Uh, it's going on memory, so you might want to check the reference later. Acts 9, 15. Paul sa- uh, or, or in Acts 9, 15, it says this about Paul. God says that I've got a plan for him. I've chosen, I've chosen a task for him to take the gospel to the Gentiles of the world. To, that my plan, my purpose for him is that he would be my messenger to the Gentiles of the world. And so Paul knew that God had a purpose for his life. Paul knew that God had a plan for his life. And so he said, listen, I may not be everything that I want to be yet, but I keep straining toward that plan, that purpose for which God took hold of me. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, well, that's good for Paul. He was a missionary and he's a preacher and I'm not. Well, I want you to hear me. God still has a plan of purpose for your life too. There was a reason he saved you. 
There was a purpose behind Satan. There was a plan when he saved you. He has a plan for your life. Stop giving so much energy to yesterday and start aggressively pursuing what Jesus wants to do in your life today. If you want to live a better life, don't run from God's dreams from your life. Run towards God's dream for your life. Ask yourself this question. Do I want to live the life that God has planned for me or do I want to settle for my plans? That's a very good question. Do I want to live the life God has for me, that God has planned for me, or do I want to live a life according to my plan? Here's what I found after 31 years of pastoring. I found that it's easy to recognize people who, are, who have lost their passion. You know how you can recognize them? They're the ones who spend their lives trying to stay as comfortable as possible. Just, just try to stay as comfortable as possible. Just choose those things that will make me happy and make me feel good. And, and, and they just focus on living a life that's as comfortable as possible. But when you die, you don't want it to be as if you've never lived. When you die... You don't want to say so much wasted time. Aggressively pursue what Jesus wants for your life. Number four. I'm going through this quickly. I hope that you're keeping up. Number four. Press on in hard times. If you want to live a better life, press on in hard times. I want you to say this one back to me because, listen, I know you need this and I need this. Here's number four. Say it with me. Press on in hard times. You see, if you're going to pursue the life that God has in mind for you, you can't stop when it gets hard or discouraging. It's going to be some days that you have to press on. The enemy will come against you. The enemy will try to stop you. The enemy will try to discourage you. But twice in this passage, once in verse 12 and again in verse 14, Paul uses the phrase, I press on. Look at it in the text. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Verse 14, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. If you're going to live a life of passion, and it's going to, be, do, it's going to take more than inspiration. It's going to take more than aspiration. It's going to take more than perspiration. There'll be times it's, you're just going to need some plain old determination where I'm going to press on. And no, I haven't accomplished it yet, but I'm going to press on. And no, it's not what I want it to be yet, but I'm going to press on. No, my marriage is not where it ought to be right now, but I'm going to press on. No, I'm, I haven't quite accomplished what God has in store for my life, but I'm going to press on. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, the, the idea of pressing on in the Greek language has the idea of I'm going to extend myself further. I'm going to go for it until I get it. That's the idea. Then Paul tells us, beyond pressing on, he said, another thing you need to do if you want to live a better life is this. Put into practice what you've already learned. He says it very plainly, beginning in verse 15. All of us who are mature should take a view, I'm sorry, should, all of us who are mature should take such a view of things, and if on this point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. I've highlighted that verse in my Bible. Verse 16, only let us live up to what we have already attained. Somebody said, when it's all said and done, there's, there's a lot more said than done. That's true. 
Paul said, you need to fully obey the truth you have. Living Bible translation. New Living Translation says, we must be sure to obey the truth we have already learned. Obey the truth. If you want to live a better life, just, just obey the truth you've already learned. I tweeted this out this week. I said, sometimes you don't need to look for something new. You just need to live what you already know. I'm afraid we fooled ourselves into thinking that reading our Bible is the same as living it. It's not. So Paul says you've got to live it out. You've got to live it out. And then notice what he says. He says in verse 17, Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. Join with others in following my example. The word example there in the Greek language is the word we would use the, word, the English word mimic. Do you remember how you learned to write in cursive? Do you even remember writing in cursive? Now, they don't even, I don't think they even teach that in school nowadays. But, but when you were in school, in elementary school, remember they had that chart up, up on the front of the wall? And, 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 or maybe it was sometimes on your paper. And the way that you learned to write in cursive is that you learned to mimic what you saw. Here's a capital S. I know it's backward to you, but here's a capital S. And here's a, a, a small S, small case, lowercase. And the way that you learned to write in cursive was to mimic what you saw. Paul said to the people in Philippi, listen, if you want to know what it means to be a follower of Jesus, just mimic me. You say, what? isn't that kind of arrogant? No, would you please understand that when he wrote these words, the New Testament had not been compiled. All they had to go on was an Old Testament. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? We don't have a New Testament yet. And in fact... And there's a little bit of debate about when Philippians was written and when the first Gospels were written. But a case could be made that when he wrote this, this letter that the Gospels had not yet even been written. And if the gospel, one Gospel had been written, it definitely was not widely distributed by this time. So these new Christians in Philippi thinking, well, we want to be a follower of Jesus and we want to live like Jesus, but what does that even look like? We don't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John to read. What does it look like? To follow Jesus. And Paul said, well, if you want to know what it looks like to follow Jesus, then just follow me. Mimic me. And I'll show you what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Parents, can I just ask you a question? Can you, can you say that to your kids? Can you say that to your grandkids? If you want to know what it means to follow Jesus... Follow me, and I'll show you. That's the kind of life you want to live, isn't it? That's the kind of life I want to live. Put into practice what you've already learned, and you'll get closer to that goal. Put into practice what you've already learned, and you'll become more like Jesus. Put into practice what you've already learned, and you'll be somebody that others can follow. Number six. If you want to live a better life, number six is this. Understand that not everyone will share your commitment to Christ. This is so important. I want you to look for the word live as I read verse 18 through 21. Look for the word live. Verse 18. For as often told you, as I have often told you before, and now say again with tears, many 
live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Then he describes these people in verse 19. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. Paul is talking about, we're not sure if he's talking about people inside the church or people outside the church, but he's talking about people who are lost. No doubt about that. It may be people in the church who are lost or people outside the church who are lost, but he's definitely talking about those who are lost. Look what he says, For I have often told you, and now say again with tears, many, here's the word, live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Please understand. Please understand that what we say we believe is immaterial if we're not living it out on a daily basis. What you say you believe doesn't really matter if you're not living it out. Paul does not talk about what these people believed. He said, I want to tell you how they're living. They're living like enemies of the cross. Because they're living like enemies of the cross, let me tell you what their destiny is. Their destiny is destruction. Stomachs, their desires, their, their appetites is their God. Their glory is their shame. Then he describes another group of people. He says in verse 20, but, word of contrast, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we have dual citizenship. Every one of if you know Christ, you have dual citizenship. You have a citizenship here on earth, and you have a citizenship in heaven. So let me say this. If you want to improve the life that you're currently living, then it needs to, you need to understand, not everybody is going to live the, that life. You need to understand, not everybody is going to understand or appreciate your commitment to the Lord. Not everybody is going to share your convictions. But don't you dare let that stop you. Don't you dare let that push you away from following the Lord. Just because not everybody else is following the Lord, you can continue to follow Him. Just because nobody else seems to have that passion, you can have it. Just because nobody else seems to have that drive, you can have it. Paul says, listen, there are many who live like enemies of the cross. And he said, and I'm telling you this with tears in my eyes. But I will not let that stop me. I am going to continue to live like a follower of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul was saying. And he tells us why we should live with the future in mind. He says, you need to understand something. We're citizens of heaven. We're citizens of heaven. Not only are we citizens of, of heaven, but Jesus is coming back to get us one day. And not only that, he says, and when he comes back to get us, he's going to change our bodies into a body like his. We've got reason, ladies and gentlemen, we've got reason to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the reason we have to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is coming back one day. And He's coming back to get us. And when He comes back to get us, He's going to take these bodies and transform them into a body like His. So when He comes back, I don't want to say so much wasted time. When He comes back to get me, and when He takes us to our heavenly home, I want to be able to say, I fought a good fight. Run the race. Finished the... I kept the faith. David Jeremiah, just this week, I'll close with this. David Jeremiah said, Are you ready to meet Christ or are you in danger of waiting one day too long? 
Paul describes two groups of people at the end of chapter 3, doesn't he? He describes those who are living as enemies of the cross because they're living for themselves. They are living as enemies of the cross because they are focused simply on their own appetites and desires. They do not have in mind the things of God, he said. They have in mind the things of the flesh. And he said, and their destiny is destruction. Sir, ma'am, are you ready to meet the Lord? Because I can promise you he's coming back. And when he comes back, I want him to come back for you. When he comes back, I want him to come back for you. And I want you to experience what Paul wrote about here. Because what Paul wrote about, we will all one day experience if we know Christ as Savior. Because I want to tell you something. Listen to it one more time. I have a place in heaven. We're citizens, not just of this world. We're citizens of another world. I have a place in heaven. Jesus is coming to get me. And he's going to change my body to look like his. And that, that is what you call living with the future in mind. Would you pray with me? Do you want to live a better life with every head bowed, every eye closed? Do you want to live a better life? First of all, make sure that you know Jesus. Make sure that you're living for heavenly things and not just earthly things. Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Are you ready to meet Christ? Or are you in danger of waiting a day too long? And then if you do know Christ as your Lord and Savior, the second thing I have to ask you is this. Are you living for Him on a daily basis? Are you living for Him? Be honest about where you are as a follower of Jesus. Don't waste any more time on yesterday. Aggressively pursue what Jesus wants for your life. Press on in the hard times. Put into practice what you've already learned. And understand that not everyone will be there to cheer you on. Not everyone will share your commitment. You keep living for Jesus regardless. Father, in the name of Christ, I thank you that you've shown us how to live a better life than the one we're living. And may we decide to pursue that first and foremost. And I pray that in Christ's name. Amen.